a lot of the athletes that you're going to get in speed camp are inherently slow. No doubt about it. That's the reason they come to speed camp, right? It's very rare that the fastest kid comes to speed camp. They're working on something else. Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and today we are going to be talking about the who, what, when, where, why, and how of running speed camps. Now, before we get into this week's show, just real quick, I want to say I hope you're having an amazing day. Hope you had an amazing holiday weekend if you celebrated here in the U.S. For me, it was really nice. I tried to take a little bit of extra time off. I think out of five days, I only coached one, so that's pretty rare for me. <laughs> if you know anything about me, I've generally coached if not on holidays, around holidays a lot, because I'm just slave to other people's schedule, but really tried to rein that in some this year. I only worked one day. It was great to just hang out with my family, with my wife's family, uh, tried to temper my enthusiasm when it came to uh, the Thanksgiving meals, because between her family and then Jess and I now, we do our own thing on Saturday. Man, the food game is legit. I'm pretty sure everybody in her family can cook. So just trying to enjoy it, but not enjoy it too much. And yeah, it was just an awesome weekend. And I hope you can say the same. Now, today, I want to talk to you about this idea of speed camps. And speed camps are something that I've run for the last couple years now. And there's really three reasons that I started doing these. Number one was absolutely selfish in nature. Uh, as my daughter has gotten older, I have wanted to hang out with her as much as I can. And I'm just conscious of the fact that between school and academics, she's getting pushed a lot. She's got a lot of stuff going on. She's got high-level soccer training that she's doing now. So I'm always looking for ways to infuse myself into her life or into Cade's life. And so selfishly, I just wanted to spend more time with her. And then a cool byproduct of that is that by spending time with her and teaching her how to take care of her body, how to move more efficiently and all those good things, I get to hang out with other kids that are her age. And if you don't have kids, you can sit here and lament what's going on in the school system, or you can lament what's going on when kids go home and they're on an iPad or a Switch or whatever all day long. But the simple fact of the matter is physical development and physical preparation in our youth is sorely lacking. So this is an opportunity for me to step in and hopefully teach these young kids, hey, look, this is how you can take care of your body. And these are skills that you'll use not just when you're playing sports, but for the rest of your life as well. So it's something that's very important to me because I know how impactful the weight room was for me growing up. It was a huge confidence builder for me, not only when I was in high school, but especially when I got into college, when I got into powerlifting at Ball State, it really helped me grow my own confidence as I grew into the coach that I think I was ultimately destined to be. So it's a great avenue to, to get time with my daughter, help her friends, and then the third reason, and it's not a huge factor for me, but it could be a bigger factor for you if you're running a business, is this is a nice way to add a little chunk of income into your business whenever you run these types of camps. And look, I run a business. I know. At the end of the day, you've got so much money you have to show out every month for rent, employees, heating, cooling, internet, Spotify, whatever you're paying for, costs money to run a gym or it costs money to live your life. So if you can find ways like this that are highly leveraged and allow you to make a really nice chunk of change in a small window of time, I think that is a huge window, or just a huge window of opportunity for everybody involved. So 
The way I'm going to break this down is the who, what, when, where, why. I may not go in that exact order because I didn't feel like it made sense. But what I want to do is give you like this really bird's eye view of what I do, how I've ran these camps. And there's two things that I want to mention here. Number one, I got to give a shout out to Lee Taft. I would not be the coach that I am today, and I definitely wouldn't be the speed coach that I am today without Lee's guidance, without his tutelage over the years. He is the absolute master of this stuff. And if you're not already following him and investing in his courses and his products, please go and do that. He is just a brilliant mind and somebody that I absolutely think the world of. So shout out to Lee. He is the GOAT. Second, very important, when you're running these types of camps, they have to be fun. And I want to say this here because I'll probably say it numerous times throughout the show. But if these camps aren't fun, kids aren't going to enjoy it. They're not going to come back. And look, there's just so many demands on kids' time. Even the kid that is just playing rec soccer is probably practicing twice a week games on weekend. High-level soccer players are practicing four times a week. They may have as few as one. They may have as many as three or four games on a weekend. So infusing yourself into their life has to be somewhat seamless, but most importantly, it's got to be fun. It's got to be something that they're excited about going to, and that is the biggest theme for me, right? I, I think of it as if they're having fun, all the other stuff on my end, the coaching, the queuing, all of that gets infinitely easier, but it's got to be fun first and foremost. So when you're running these camps or you're thinking about running these camps, constantly ask yourself, what are ways I can make this fun? So with that being said, we are going to take a quick break and then we will jump into the who, what, when, where, why, and how of running speed camps. Did you know that in any given year, 40% of the trainers and coaches in our industry will leave our industry? Maybe that's why it seems like almost every day I talk to trainers and coaches who are frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if this sounds anything like you, let me tell you how I can help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you. People who are serious about the results they get and know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is going to take the last 20 plus years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In the cert, you'll learn how to use my R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. You'll learn the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym to help your clients squat, hinge, press, and pull with awesome technique. You'll learn my streamlined assessment process that will help you determine the exact movements your clients should be performing when they come in the gym. And last but not least, you'll learn how to create relationships and build rapport with virtually everyone you train so you can get the best possible results. Of course, there's a lot more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the CERT is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the CERT only open twice per year for a limited time. but if you join my free insiders list now, you'll be able to save $200 when my next group opens. To get on the insiders list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, that's completecoachcertification.com, and then stay tuned for our launch emails very soon. Thank you so much for your support, 
and I hope you'll join us when the next Complete Coach Certification launches. Okay, we're back. So let's start at the top. Who are we targeting when we run a speed camp? For me, I am targeting primarily middle and high school age kids. And I would say probably even more importantly, or more focused, it's a lot of times it's middle or young high school age kids because they're not already entrenched in the high school strength and conditioning scene. This is so crazy for me to think about because we didn't even get a weight room at my high school until in between my sophomore and junior years. But now I can go to any of the local high schools and they're better weight room wise than what I grew up in when I was at Ball State, which is a division one university. These high schools, some of them are million dollar weight rooms. Okay, so for me, I'm trying to go where they aren't already being targeted. So middle and young high school age kids is probably where I'm going to start. Now, you may be confused because you're thinking, Mike, you primarily work with elite, more elite level players, right? Whether it's high school, college pros, and that's absolutely true. But I love working with this younger age group as well, because it brings me back to my roots. It reminds me, look, not everybody jumps 50 some centimeters. Not everybody runs one, five, 10 yard dashes. Not everybody is dunking three sixties and throwing it back behind their head. Everybody starts somewhere. And what it reminds me of is that, look, sometimes the first cue doesn't work. Sometimes the second cue doesn't work. Sometimes you're working in a group environment and it's hard to corral everybody and keep them engaged and on board with what you're doing. So for me, it gives me just some time to step back and realize, hey, this is where I started from. And ultimately, I talked about this up at top. I love working with this age group. I love giving these kids tools and resources that they can use for the rest of their life. But here's another thing I want you to think about. Because speed camps are a great way, if you want to start working with athletes, I get this question all the time. People are like, I want to get started with athletes. I don't have a lot of experience. What do I do? Speed camps are a great way to do this. It's really hard to sell like a private one-on-one to a soccer player or basketball player or volleyball player. You're selling private training, but you don't really have the chops for it yet. So what I found is you can create these camps And a lot of times what it allows you to do is in a group environment, start cutting your teeth because the the stress and the pressure aren't on you nearly as much in a group. If you've got the right music, if you've got the right group of kids, if you write a fun and engaging workout, they're going to enjoy it. So even if you do make a mistake, right, you give the wrong cue or you figure out, oh, man, that was like the wrong exercise to pick. That just doesn't fit there. Or, man, that just wasn't the right cue. It's not really as big a deal when you're in this large group environment, because again, they're having fun, they're engaged, they're not like nitpicking over what you're saying or what you're doing. So I think this is a great way for people that want to start getting into the young athlete development side of training. Camps are a great way to do that. It's fun, engaging, and there's less pressure on you as a coach to really stand out and do everything absolutely right. So that's who I am targeting. Second, What are we working on? And I'm just going to give you the broad strokes here. Obviously, it's called speed camp. So when we do speed camp, we're training for speed. And one of the things that we start every session with are what are the three rules of speed camp? Number one, get faster. Number two, have fun. And number three, nobody gets hurt. We talk about that every single session because I want these kids to remember this. And I want them to know, look, we're here to get faster. So we're going to work hard to do that. 
but it's got to be fun. And also, I want to have fun, but I don't want anybody to get hurt along the way. So we're training speed primarily, but I think there's more to it than that. And so when we get into the actual how and the things that I'm doing in the session, we're working on rhythm. We're working on coordination. We're working on ankle stiffness. We're working on reactivity. Yes, we're absolutely focusing some time and attention on speed development. But then a final piece that I think is really important is just what I would describe as this intro to strength and conditioning. And I'm almost remiss to use that term because when people hear strength and conditioning, immediately they think power lifter, straining under a barbell, max effort, squats and deads. And so I just cut that off at the pass because that's what parents are thinking. And I explain to them, that's not what we're doing here. I'm trying to teach these kids how to do these fundamental movement patterns that we all learned growing up, right? Like somewhere along the way, most of us learned how to squat and lunge and hinge and do a push up and a chin up. So those are the type of like foundational movements that I'm going to teach in this class. It's just general movement and athleticism that I think will carry over to whether it's just on the field, court, pitch, whatever, as well as into the rest of their lives. And it's going to set them up for like high school strength and conditioning when they go and they start doing that. But here's something I want you to think about. I call it speed camp because a lot of times when I'm doing this, it's in the realm of soccer and very few people in fact, zero people in my entire career have called me and said, my kid is too fast on a soccer pitch. Can you slow them down? It just doesn't happen. Instead, what I get is, oh, little Johnny is amazing with a ball at his feet, but he's too slow. Or Susie is an amazing defender, but she gets blown by and can't recover. So I talk about speed camp because I'm talking generally to a soccer base when I'm running these, but it doesn't have to be that right? Like back in the day, we used to absolutely crush with these vertical jump camps. We would run them in late June and early July at IFAST. We'd target some of the local volleyball clubs and we'd always get six to eight girls. Again, the volleyball off season, super short, super compressed. So it may only be three or four weeks, but we'd run these, we'd get six or eight girls in. Almost all of them would see an increase in their vertical. And what would happen is ultimately we'd flip generally one, if not two or three of those girls into ongoing clients after that. So this is a great front end offer. If you're thinking from like a business perspective, whether it's speed camp, whether it's vertical jump camp, intro to high school strength and conditioning, you know, the note that I have here is know your market, right? Who are you catering to? Who are you talking to? Find your niche and then fill it. So for me, soccer speed camp works. For basketball or volleyball, talk about vertical jump power, explosiveness. If it's baseball, increase your throwing velocity or increase your exit velocity. Whatever angle you want to put on this will work. So don't think it has to be a speed camp, but find that niche, target it, and then fill it. And then somebody always wants to know, what do you charge for this? And I think this is definitely a range. I would tell people it can be as cheap as $5 per kid up to $20 per kid. It depends on the market that you're in, right? So like the city, the demographic you're marketing to, their expendable income. I can tell you, generally, I'm going to charge $20 a kid. My goal is to make about $150 an hour when I run these types of camps. So I figure if I've got seven, eight kids, that's pretty easy math right there. If I'm making about $20 a head, that's $150 hour. Most people aren't upset making $150 an hour for coaching, especially this hour goes so fast. 
I'm telling you, like you're looking down at your clock and you're like, oh my gosh, it's already been a half an hour. And then you're into the games and you're into the strength and conditioning. And next thing you're like, oh my gosh, the hour's done. The kids are still running around. They're laughing, playing, having fun. It's such an easy, it's just such an easy setup, guys. I'm telling you, you can absolutely slay with this. So it, it really comes down to the market, the demographic, who you're comfortable or what you're comfortable charging. If you're new to this and you're just trying to get people in the door, start with five, 10 bucks. Start very low end and then work your way up over time. If you're enjoying today's podcast and not already subscribed to the Robertson Training Systems newsletter, what are you waiting for? When you sign up, you'll get immediate access to materials that will help you write better programs, motivate people outside of the gym, and improve how your clients move and feel. Plus, the RTS newsletter is the only place where I announce up-and-coming events like virtual summits, live seminars, and my program design mentorship. And last but not least, I hate spam as much as you do, so I will only email you when I've got something valuable to deliver, something that will make you a better athlete, trainer, or coach. So if you're not already subscribed, head over to robertsontrainingsystems.com and register for our newsletter right now, today. Now, that's enough from me. Let's get back into this week's episode. Next, why run a speed camp? And I think, I like to think of this in two ways. Why do we run a speed camp for them? Why do you run a speed camp for you? So let's talk about for them first. Obviously, we want to get faster. Again, speed camp, the goal is to get faster. But for me, it goes beyond that. It's improving those fundamental movement skills because I see so many kids. I can't even I can't even describe this, guys. They're playing high-level soccer, high-level basketball. They can't skip. They have no rhythm. They can't do a karaoke, right? They're literally skipping, and they're doing same side. They're doing like an ipsilateral skip. So I want to improve those fundamental movement skills. And sometimes, too, you teach them just like, Man, this is how you squat. This is how you change levels. Feel your whole foot. Sit down versus sitting back. Like just giving them a bigger movement base to build from, I think will ultimately make them a better fill in the blank athlete here. Doesn't matter soccer, basketball, football, lacrosse. You give them a better movement base, they're going to be a better athlete as a whole. Third, injury reduction. And I don't know about you, but we're at that point now where it's crazy. I've watched my entire neighborhood grow up. We've got all kinds of kids that are my kid's age or a little bit younger, a little bit older. And we're already at that point where some of these high school kids are having major injuries, right? They're tearing ACLs. So I look at this from the injury reduction perspective as well. Can we start to teach these kids through better movement, right? How to load their body more efficiently, hopefully reduce the likelihood of injuries down the line. Because I know when they go into high school, and they maybe make that high school team, they're thrust into an advanced PE or a weights class. And it's generally one to two teachers. You could have anywhere from 30 to 60 kids in one room. I get it. They do their best job of organizing this, but there's no way, even with the best progressions, the best regressions, that you can really successfully coach and supervise that many kids. It's very difficult. And and again, this is not a shot at high school strength and conditioning coaches. I think they do a brilliant job given the context and the environment that they're in. But for us, in a smaller environment, now we can really laser in. We can help them understand this is how a squat should feel. This is where your foot, your knee, and your hip should be when you lunge. This is how you hinge. And instead of just rounding your back, it's soft knees pushing your hips back. So that ability to 
coach and cue effectively will hopefully lead to injury reduction down the line. And then finally, team building. So there are times where I will just market, say, a speed camp to an entire soccer club or a, a vertical jump camp to an entire volleyball club. And that works great. But there's also a time and a place, depending on your relationships and your connections, maybe you can go and just pull an entire team. So that's what I've done this year with Kendall's soccer team. She's got 15 girls. Say, hey, look, I'll take about eight to 10 in a class. And man, we get them all in. It's great team building. The girls love each other. They have so much fun. And ultimately, they're getting faster as a team. So for them, this is just such a win because they're getting faster. They're moving better, hopefully reducing their likelihood of injury. And we're building the team camaraderie. So for them, it's a no-brainer. For you, man, it's just such a low-cost offering if you're trying to get into a new market. Maybe you played volleyball growing up, but you don't have any relationships or any connections in the volleyball space. This is a great way to start marketing in that audience or to that group at a very low-cost way. Again, it's hard to sometimes come in and sell one-on-one training at $60, $80, $100 an hour, but if you're offering a vertical jump camp or a speed camp for 10 or 20 bucks, hey, this is a great way to start infusing yourself into some of these communities and starting to build some of these relationships. So it's a low-cost offering. Again, it's a great way to cut your teeth in a new market or area. Again, for the people that are listening that want to start getting into strength and conditioning, they want to start doing uh, more work with athletes. It's a great way to start getting in there. It's very hard if you're trying to get in and work with a high-level recruit that is going to go play basketball or volleyball or soccer somewhere. This person's already got a lot of coaches in their ear. They've already heard a lot of BS from different people. It's a little bit harder to cut your teeth on those people versus if you've got younger kids, they're more malleable, they haven't been coached and trained as much. It's a great way to get started. Uh, Again, I talked about this up top. It's a small time investment. Again, one hour, maybe a little bit of time up front to plan it and organize it. Man, it's very leveraged. You can make anywhere from, say, $60 to $150, $200 in one hour by running these types of camps. So it's a great high leverage tool for you to add into your business. And again, for me, it doesn't even feel like work. It's so much fun working with these kids. I'm enjoying myself. We're all smiling. We're all having a great time. It is so much fun. And I find, even though it's late at night, for me, I do most of my training and coaching in the morning because that's when most pros and high-level people want to train. After school, or I run these at 6.30 at night, normally I'd be like, oh man, I'm ready to be at home, like in my pajamas, watching TV or chilling out. But I find when I'm done with these sessions, I've actually got more energy at 7.30 at night than I would almost any other time throughout the day, just because it's fun and it's engaging. So that is why you would run a speed cam. I think part of it is for them, and a part of it is for you as well. Now, a lot of people are going to ask, where am I going to do this? So if you own a gym, easy, you do it in your gym. But not everybody has a gym, right? So what are some alternate methods that you can use? One would be to partner with a facility. And so I've seen this done numerous times. I've done this when I was at a local high school where I would do stuff with them. But maybe you could partner with a local middle or high school. They would let you use their facilities. Now, sometimes there can be uh, some issues there because it's not privately owned. Uh, But if you have a good connection or a good relationship there, maybe you can work something like that. Another 
would be a partner gym. For instance, iFast. We have independent contractors now that work out of our gym. So when they want to run team-based stuff, okay, it's a little bit higher hourly rate because there's a higher usage, right? Instead of training one, two, three people in an hour, you've got eight to 10 or you got an entire team. It's a little bit higher hourly rate, but again, it's so leveraged for you as a coach, you can make a really nice chunk of change. And even if you have to pay a little bit of that to the house, ultimately you're building something that is going to make you a great hourly rate. And hopefully if you sell something on the back end, can get you consistent clients on the back end as well. A third would be to partner with a club, right? So a lot of soccer facilities have an indoor facility that they can use in the winter, basketball, volleyball, Try and connect with these big clubs, start to forge relationships, whether it's with individual coaches, whether it's with club directors. I think the stronger the relationships you have with the different people within the club or the organization, the easier it will be to create uh, a connection with them. Now, there's a guy uh, that goes in and runs speed camps out of Kindle Soccer Club. Great. I don't choose to do that because I've got my own gym and my own space, uh, but I know there's another guy that does that. Great. That's how you should be thinking is uh, even if you don't have a space where you could do this on your own, find ways to partner with other facilities or other gyms, other organizations where you might be able to run these. And even if you got to pay, I don't know, 25, 50 bucks for an hour, you can clear a lot of cash. And again, I don't do it just for the money, but we all have bills to pay. So it's a great way to set that up and leverage your time. A third option. And again, this one's weather dependent but city parks. So this is something that if I did more of this in the summer, I don't do a lot of it in the summer right now because the soccer season really doesn't end until first, second week in June. And then there are a lot of times picking up second or third week in July. But if it's something I wanted to start doing more in the summer, I would probably just do it at a park versus at a facility because you got a big open space, right? You're running on grass versus turf, which is really nice. And just getting kids outdoors, I think is very, very valuable. So don't let where be an issue, right? It really just depends or it comes down to you being a little, I don't want to say aggressive, but you got to figure out, okay, what are the different opportunities here? What relationships do I need to forge? Or what relationships do I need to build? Because if you want to do this, there's a way you just have to figure out, okay, where location wise is this going to be best? And then what steps do I need to take to make it happen? Cool. Okay, next, let's talk about when you should run a camp. And this is tough because if you're not in these individual spaces or if you don't have kids in these individual sports, it's a little bit harder to find the off seasons, right? I think the, the off seasons were much more clearly delineated when I was a kid growing up. Maybe I'm just naive or maybe I'm just really old and I'm misremembering, <laughs> as Roger Clemens would say, but find the off season. So if you want to work in baseball, for instance, baseball may be the best because they basically have from like October to February or even early March. And I have my note here. Hey, Eric is so smart, Cressy. <laughs> such a smart move because baseball has such a dedicated off season. They've got four five, six months to where they can really focus on their physical development. So if you wanna work in baseball, by all means, that's a great one because there's a huge chunk of time in the off season. It's very clearly delineated when they're gonna go indoors. 
Soccer, a little bit tougher. Now, they still go indoors, but a lot of times you'll see indoor leagues get going or futsal leagues are going. So the way that I structure this is I generally run a winter one and a winter two session. So my winter one is November and December. We're generally gonna go twice a week during this period of time because they have the least amount of soccer training. So I figure, hey, we've got a lot of dedicated time here. We can get in the gym. We can make some real progress with your speed development. So I'll generally run a winter one and then a winter two, and that's gonna be January and February. Now, you're gonna have to figure out how things work with the individual club or the athletes that you're trying to get in with. But for me, this winter two session, it could be one or two days a week. It really depends because what you'll find is a lot of times if there's an indoor facility, if it's a high level club or you're working with high level players, they are gonna have more time commitments to soccer after the first of the year. They're gonna go from once a week to twice a week for soccer, two to three times a week for soccer. So at this point, hey man, I may cut my losses a little bit and just say, hey look, if you're training soccer three days a week, I can't probably get you in the gym twice a week with me. So let's cut back, let's go from twice a week to once a week in that winter two session so we can keep getting you in and we can keep focusing on your speed development. Volleyball is very challenging. I grew up in Delaware County, which is about an hour north of here. It is an absolute hotbed for just like a country hillbilly town in Indiana, or just like country, county, sorry, country, county. <laughs> for a small county, it is an absolute hotbed for volleyball. And I just remember watching our girls at Burris. I think we won two or three national championships in the time I was in school there, we won state like 10 out of the 12 years. I was in like K through 12. We're talking dominant. But these girls would play, they'd start doing individuals in January, or sorry, not January, in July. Team practice starts in August. They go to state every year. So that would be first weekend in November. As soon as they're done, they're starting to report and try out for Munciana, which is the volleyball club. They play that until mid-June. So really, if you want to work, in volleyball, late June, early July. That's about it. It's very challenging to find windows of opportunity there. Now, that's not to say maybe you couldn't find some of the same downtimes like I do in soccer, right? And I haven't made as many moves in the volleyball space, but maybe you could say, hey, look, you're gonna be doing your club stuff. You're gonna be ramping up November, December, but let's spend two months just working on your physical development, right? Let's work on getting stronger, developing your lower body strength and power, increasing your vertical. So that's what I would do in the volleyball space is try and target at the very least June and July. And depending on, again, the athlete, their time commitments to other, other things, maybe you can get in there November, December, January and get some work in. And then basketball, which that's my love, that might be the hardest one of all. I just don't know where <laughs> their off season is anymore. When they start their season, October, November, December, January, February, March, as soon as they're done in March with their high school season, they're going to AAU and they'll play AAU through March or through May, excuse me. Then they'll play June ball. Then they'll come back and they'll play another month of AAU in July. And then they're in August reporting and starting to do stuff for their school. This is why Lee is such a huge proponent of a, a, a smaller model and getting away from the AAU model because these kids just have no downtime in basketball. But if I did stuff in basketball, it would probably be in the summer. That's probably when you're gonna get the most time with them. You're thinking generally June and July, 
and you're probably going to have to work around some of their other commitments. They're always playing basketball. Like they're always playing basketball, whether it's organized, open gym. It's really hard to get these kids off the court, but that's what I would try and be selling to them. If I was really marketing to like middle school or young high school age kids and not kids that are a little bit more established, like I have now, if I'm working with those younger kids, I'm like, Hey, look, physical development is huge, right? If you want to play JV, if you want to play varsity, if you want to give yourself a shot to play D1, we've got to do some things physically to make you bigger, faster, and stronger. So that's when you should run a camp. Really, you got to know your niche and then you got to figure out, okay, when are the downtimes? When is their off season? And how can I infuse myself in there without taking too much away from them physically? Because these kids just have so many demands if they're playing high level sports. Last but not least, let's talk about how I run a class. And again, we're going to just go through the broad strokes and themes here because this could be probably an entire course or an entire product. Maybe I'll make it that at some point in time, but I at least want to give you an overview of how I run a class. And if you just skip forward to this part, I'm totally cool with that because a lot of people just want to know, how does it look? How do you run it? How do you manage it? So as far as the broad street, broad streaks, broad strokes, my gosh, why can I not talk today? The broad strokes, the first, say five minutes are all about intro games and fun. So People will say, what, what are you doing to start a class? And I will literally just let the kids, I'll say, hey, look, we have all this space, all these different balls, sports, activities you can do. Just go do something. Just go move for five minutes. And I give them absolutely zero direction. And this is the first five minutes of class. If they get there early, so if class starts at 6.30 and they're there at 6.20, hey, you got 15 minutes to just mess around. So my goal at this point in time is to do nothing structured and to just get them smiling and laughing. And generally, if you can do that in the first five to 10 minutes, you're going to win that entire session because they're just in a good mood. They're enjoying themselves and they want to get better. A second rule that I have, I don't strictly adhere to this, but I find it's so much more fun if you do. So let's say I've got Kendall's soccer team in there. I tell them, look, you got all this space, all these different sports you can play. Here's my only rule. You can't play soccer. And it's amazing when you have girls that have almost exclusively played soccer and now they're out there trying basketball, trying volleyball, throwing a Frisbee, doing all these different activities, playing spike ball. All, again, all of a sudden they're laughing, they're having fun, they're learning new sports, right? Which is obviously a huge piece of this. We know kids are specializing earlier and earlier. If I can just kids to just get these kids to mess around and play different sports, it's so much fun and they really are locked in right from the start. Plus, there's nothing funnier than watching kids that have never bumped a volleyball before or never shot a basketball go out and try and do this. Generally, they have fun with it. They're laughing. They know they're not good at it, but it's amazing. They get better really fast. So whenever possible, try and get them away from their favorite sport and get them trying new things. But ultimately, it's just about moving. I just want them to move. I want them to have fun and I want them to get going. So that's the start. Intro games, fun. Second, we go through a general warm-up. Don't overthink this. For me, we've got a general dynamic mobility stretch session that we go through. And then I'm always pairing those mobility activities with activities that build rhythm and coordination. So we're going to focus on skipping. We're going to work on karaoke's, backpedaling, all those fundamental movement skills that Lee talks about. I'm just trying to infuse them and, and touch on them every single session. So I feel like if it's important, I'm going to build it into my warm up. Again, don't overthink it. 
make it simple, but just stretch different joints, move into different planes, uh, just get the rhythm and the coordination and the things that they may be lacking or may not be getting in other areas of their physical development. Start working on those in the warmup because I think it's going to make for a really great starting point for your session. Third, prep and injury prevention. I think of this twofold. Number one, a lot of the athletes that you're going to get in speed camp are inherently slow. No doubt about it. That's the reason they come to speed camp, right? It's very rare that the fastest kid comes to speed camp. They're working on something else like ball skills or ball handling or shooting. The kids that come to speed camp need to get faster. So we're going to work on uh, low level quickness drills, right? It could be jumping rope. It could be the agility ladder, working more on ankle stiffness than anything. That's another thing. I could probably do an entire topic just on the agility ladder and why it's actually valuable. And I understand people hate on it for a lot of reasons, but I think there's a lot of value there to it if you look at it as more than just a speed tool. But I digress. So when we're thinking ankle stuff, we're thinking agility ladder, jump rope, uh, pogos, anything to just work on low-level reactivity, bounce, explosiveness. I'm thinking about training the brakes. You want a great episode, go back and listen to my show with Matthew Ibrahim. I'll link it in the show notes. But this idea of training the brakes, especially when I'm working with female athletes, I'm thinking about how can we build the brakes? How can we teach them to decelerate in a more effective fashion, especially when we think that, or no, I think it's like female athletes are like six to eight times more likely to rupture an ACL than their male counterparts. So I'm going to absolutely try and put things into their training program that's going to help reduce that likelihood. Hopefully it will help. But I'm thinking about, okay, how can we train the brakes early on and teach these girls to manage their momentum, and manage their center of gravity more effectively. And then finally, just think about getting moving faster. You don't start off sprinting at the very start of your session. Maybe when you're 10, you can do that. (laughs) But even at 12 or 13, these girls are getting bigger. They're getting stronger. They're more likely to pull muscles. I'm just thinking about progressively ramping them up so that when it's go time, it's go time. And that's just another general rule. I don't have this in my outline, but I think it's very important. When people think they're coming to speed camp, they think the entire time is just racing, right? Like they think everything is a race. So I'm always putting these little nuggets in there. And one of the nuggets that I always tell the girls is, look, it's never a race until I tell you it's time to race. And so immediately what that does is it reframes what you're trying to get out of the different activities. So if we're working on a skill or we're working on a drill, I will reinforce them. This is not a race. Learn how to do this the right way. If we're working on acceleration, use the acceleration cues that I'm giving you. If we're working on lateral acceleration or lateral change of direction, focus on the skills that I'm giving you. Don't worry, we're going to get we're going to get to play games and we're going to get to use it and race later on, but when we're not racing, don't race. Learn how to do the things effectively first. Which brings me to the next phase, and I just think of this as like drills and technical. And look, I hate the term drills, right? But that's how I think about it. And it's just the way I set the program up. Really, the drills are just movements that reinforce your ideas or what I would describe as your movement theme for the day. Okay. And there's lots of themes, depending on the group that you're working with, the target abilities. For me, acceleration is arguably the biggest theme. I'm always layering elements of acceleration in because it doesn't matter what sport you play, acceleration is important, right? If there's one that 
I'm, I can't think of the above where acceleration isn't important. Please let me know. Maybe like archery or something like that, but baseball, basketball, football, soccer, lacrosse, all of these sports, acceleration is critically important. So I'm constantly putting in these themes of acceleration, but as far as broad themes for the day, it could be linear acceleration, lateral acceleration, linear change of direction, lateral change of direction, retreating, curvilinear running. And again, if you want some insight into this, I'll link uh, the most recent show I did with Lee Taft in the show notes as well, because it was a fantastic episode where he breaks down his movement models for all of these different themes. But generally, I'm going to spend a lot of time early on just focusing on linear acceleration. When we're talking middle and young high school age kids, they need a lot of reps and a lot of reinforcement. So if we're talking about acceleration, hey, what are the keys to acceleration? I need big arms, right? I need you to be able to push and I need you to be able to chase your shoulders. Those are the three things I keep coming back to and I'm just constantly layering this in. Day one, we teach that. And then over the course of the next couple weeks, months, however long you have them, you're constantly quizzing them, right? I teach them that the first couple sessions and then at the end, it's okay, hey, now we're in week three. Hey, what are my three keys to acceleration? And immediately they start rattling these off. Now, okay, they're starting to understand this. Now let's take that into say lateral acceleration. How does it change if we're moving laterally versus straight ahead? So you're constantly building and reinforcing these themes into your workouts. But I got a couple notes here, like acceleration. Those are the big ones that I use. Again, pretty sure I stole these from Lee, but chase the shoulders, right? So instead of top end where you're up and down, we're chasing our shoulders. So we've got this angled torso position. Very important. You got to chase the shoulders too. We need big arms. So when we're thinking big arms, right? Fred Flintstone, short choppy arms. That's great for top end. But if we're accelerating, we need big arm action. So be demonstrative with your arms. And then third, I'm teaching them to push, right? So pushing down and back. And I teach them a little bit. I don't try and drop serious physics bombs on them with Newton's laws, but I should explain to them, look, if you want to go this way, you have to push this way. So helping them understand those action reaction forces. So if we're teaching acceleration, those are some of the big keys that maybe I'd reinforce. Lateral acceleration. I talk about having a good base, right? Especially if we're thinking about defensively. You want to have a good base. You want to be balanced. You want to feel the inside edges of your feet because that's where you're, excuse me, that's where you're ultimately going to push or drive from. If you can feel those arches and you're balanced, you can push and laterally accelerate in either direction very effectively. But we teach linear acceleration first, just so they understand the, the general movement model. And then we can start to build it out from there. From there, so we've given them like some drills and we've said, okay, this is our movement model. These are some drills that reinforce it. So, hey, we've taught you the, the cues that we need for linear acceleration. Now maybe we're gonna do some drills. Maybe we're gonna do some wall drills. Maybe we're gonna have you push a prowler or drag a sled so you can start to feel the body position that I want. You can start to feel what it's like to have big arms. I mean, arms are so big, I'm smashing my chair. But we start to build on these themes in a slower, more contextual environment where they can feel things, then we start to ramp it up. And again, I'm telling them, look, once we're doing this, once we move into more of these faster drills, we're still not racing. We're still not racing. I want you to focus on chasing your shoulders, big arm action, push the ground away. So we start to build it into faster movements 
And then finally, we bring it into what I would describe as thematic or contextual games. Okay, so perfect example here, maybe we do waterfall sprints. So what happens is all the girls or all the guys are lined up on one line. The person on the far right is the leader. When they decide it's time to go, everybody else reacts to them and it's like this chain reaction or these dominoes where this person goes and this person goes, this person all the way down the line. And then the leader goes to the end, the next person moves up, and then we just repeat through that cycle. But now I tell them, look, now we are racing. So now it's this chance for them to really feel what it's like to do these actions with intent, with speed. And if you never give them this environment or you never give them this experience, they're not going to get as fast as you'd like, right? Kids never work as hard. They never run as fast as when they're competing or when they're racing. So I always try and explain to them, look, when we're not racing, we're building skills. We're trying to teach you techniques. Same thing here. Now it's time to race. Now I need you to work your fastest and try and take those skills that we just learned and worked on and infuse them into your actual racing. And I think sometimes you have to break this down for them too. So if you're working with a basketball player and you explain to them, look, there's a reason you do form shooting first. Nobody's guarding you. You're standing right in front of the rim. You're working on elbow underneath the ball. Your wrist is cocked back, holding your release. You're working on all those finer details. In soccer, you don't go out and start trying to juke people when you're working on your shooting. No, you put the ball in front of the goal, you take a couple steps back and you work on running up, good plant, good drive through the laces, right? You work in these low level environments and then you slowly add in that element of speed or competitiveness to it. Same thing with these classes. You don't wanna jump right into some of the higher level stuff. I think so many of these kids need some of the foundational movement skills first they need you to teach them those broad themes or concepts. And then once they've started to figure those out, now you infuse it into a game or into a race. And ultimately they get so much more out of it. So at this point, we've done all of the speed training that we're going to. And generally the last 15 to 20 minutes is just what I describe as foundational strength and power. So really focus here on just teaching technique. I try and reinforce the parents. We're not powerlifting here. We're not trying to get super, super strong. I wanna teach your kids good technique. And it's not just for when they go to high school, but for the rest of their life. They're young and they're malleable when they're in sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth grade. So I'm gonna teach them how to squat effectively, how to hinge effectively, how to do a good push-up where their back isn't totally bowed and their abs are crashing to the ground every time. Like these foundational movements, I wanna teach them how to do it right now so that ultimately, when they start adding load or they're around all of their friends in like that fun high school strength and conditioning environment, they're able to do this stuff safely and effectively. So we're gonna focus on technique, what I would describe as low risk power development. So maybe this is box jumps, maybe this is throwing medicine balls. Um, we're not doing anything that would put them in like a threatening environment. So I just describe this as low risk power development. Plus kids love jumping on boxes. They love throwing medicine balls, the granny toss where they like drop it in between their legs and chuck it into the sky. The guys and girls that I've worked with over the years absolutely love that. Or the baseball kids that just get to take that medicine ball and I always say, try and break my wall. When you give them those kinds of cues, they're like, oh yeah, this is fun. So I'm trying to find ways to make it fun, but in a low risk environment 
that allows them to start building explosive power. A lot of body weight work. Again, being able to own your internal system before you start adding external elements like a barbell, a dumbbell, a kettlebell to the system. Very important. The exception I would say here is that a lot of kids really struggle to squat. So I may give them either a small weight or a small kettlebell just to help them counterbalance when they are working on their squat. But by and large, a lot of body weight resistance, because I want them to be able to do a push-up effectively, a chin-up effectively. You would be shocked at how most kids look when they lunge. So if I can teach them to own their own body weight first, ultimately, I think it's going to help set the stage for better development later on. And then finally, building confidence. And I think this just can't be stated enough. I remember Joe Ken said years ago, the most transferable trait from the weight room to the field is confidence. And it's not a knock on what we do in the gym, right? Because we can do a lot of powerful things, but ultimately building confidence is such a huge boon to our young athletes. And I know what this did for me, right? Again, in high school, I was doing the dumbest stuff imaginable, right? We're doing machine circuits. We're doing sets of a hundred. If I'm not doing that, I'm bench pressing three times a week and I'm maxing out every Friday. But even if you do really dumb stuff, like the confidence that you build from just working on your body, taking care of your body. This is a life lesson that I want not just my kids, but any kid that I come in contact with to understand is that taking care of your body is important. It's the only body you're going to ever have. And it's ultimately something that you want to learn how to do at a young age so you can do it for the rest of your life. So my friend, I think that does it for today. This was pretty fun little show. I hope you enjoyed it. I don't know why I can't talk today. (laughs) Hopefully the little stumbles didn't bother you too much, but man, I really enjoy running speed camps. I enjoy working with kids. I enjoy helping them get faster. I enjoy helping them better understand their body and how to take care of their body. So I think it's a huge win for them. For me, I enjoy it. It's just a lot of fun personally and professionally. The fact that I get to make a little bit of extra money and then A lot of times with these, I just take the money and infuse it back in. So like the money I'm making from this speed camp, I'm just investing back into timing lights because we had some great timing lights. They broke. I want to get some new ones. So that way now, hey, it's time to race. Let's see how fast you girls are on your 10. Let's see if we can really drop your 10 scores over the next four to six weeks. So I really hope you enjoyed the show. Who, what, when, where, and why of running speed camps. Oh, and how. Who, what, when, where, why, and how of running speed camps. Really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please do me a small favor, whether it's a friend, a colleague, somebody that you think may be interested in running speed camps, vertical jump camps, any type of youth athletic development camp out of their gym or partnering with a facility. If you could share this with them, I would really appreciate it. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care.